Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Welcome to the Punk Rock and Beer Podcast. Hey everybody, how's it going? So we got a special guest on the show today. We got Mr. Finn McKinty from the most awesome show, the Punk Rock MBA. He's also got a second channel, the Finn McGinty channel, um, where he gives like advice on social media. Is it? What's their second channel's theme? It's really business and marketing and personal development. I talk a lot about social media on there because that's what I get a lot of questions about, but really anything under the heading of like business, I would say. I think I met you at Nam there a couple of years ago. We all wound up at like Mama Causes one night after Nam. That's and, right. Uh, yeah, that, yeah. That, that was pretty cool. But uh, you used to be a graphic designer, did you not? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did graphic design for a career for about 10 years. Most notably, probably uh, I was a designer, apparel designer for Abercrombie & Fitch for a few years. So I, if you wore like Hollister stuff in high school, there's a very good chance that I designed one of your shirts. Uh, wow. Hundreds of them. Uh, wow. I also did marketing for them, like the shopping bags and stuff like that that you've seen. So I would go over to uh, China and Indonesia and Korea to go uh, print the shopping bags, go to the factories over there. So that was pretty cool. I also did a bunch of stuff for Procter & Gamble, like Tide and Febreze and Swiffer. I think all the Swiffer stuff that's on the market now, I think I, I think that's all still stuff that I worked on. Wow. So a lot of not very punk stuff, but I, I really enjoyed that. I mean, the challenge of working on anything at scale is pretty cool. You know, Swiffer and Febreze are both multi-billion dollar brands. They make hundreds of millions of units of those things a year. And anytime you're working at that scale, every single decision you make matters a lot. And you really have to, you know, challenge yourself to be thoughtful about all of them. And uh, I learned a lot from that, even if I'm not super excited about, you know, fabric softener, but there's a lot you can learn from working on any machine that's that big and that complicated. Wow. That's insane, man. Yeah, I was going to say Febreze. That's so punk rock, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was fun. I, I'm sure. I, I didn't expect it to be fun because I don't give a shit about any kind of like home care. Like I, not my thing. I don't know that I had ever bought, you know, fabric softener in my entire life before I worked on Bounce, for example. Um, but because the people on that team are really smart, and, you know, just good critical thinkers. I mean, these are like some of the best chemical engineers on the planet. Uh, anytime you're working with people that are that smart on a problem that complicated, uh, it's it's fun. As opposed to, you know, I'm sure everybody listening to this has probably had a not so fun experience working on something cool like a metal album. Like, <laughs> you know, in oh, all yeah. seriousness though, you know, I also did like skate videos and stuff like that and it fucking sucked. I mean, I'm, I'm grateful that I got the chance to do it, but... I was like, dude, these people are horrible. They have no money. They don't want to pay for anything. They're just negative dicks about everything. Fuck this. Like, in theory, I'd rather work on skate videos, but it's actually more fun to work on Febreze because the people are cooler. And I found that, you know, the people you work with, to me anyway, is a bigger factor in how much I enjoy it than the thing you're actually working on. 
Sure. I, you know, I can say the same thing about working with bands. Some bands are a lot more fun to work with than others. And it's like, I can name names, but and whether you like the band or not becomes a lot less important. Of course, in a perfect right. world, you love the band and you love the people in the band, but it's pretty rare that you get both of those things. Right. Every, yeah, exactly. I think in 22 years I had, you know, two or three projects like that where everybody, everything just hit on all the right spots and it was just, just a breeze to work on. It was a lot of fun. But that's Most just the, time the reality of being a professional creative. You know, you have it in your head that every project is going to be your favorite band in the world uh, and everyone in the band is really cool. And that's, you know, or same as a graphic designer. You think, oh, I'm going to work with this brand that I really like or, you know, work on skate videos and it's all going to be awesome. And, you know, reality is not that. And I say that not to be like, you know, to to be a dream crusher, but because there's probably somebody listening to this that, um, feels like something is wrong with their life because they're like, well, I'm working on this stuff that's been my dream, but it's actually not as fun as I thought. What's wrong? Well, there's nothing wrong. That's just the way it is. And, you know, don't be fooled by all the Adobe commercials you see that make it look like every day is a party. <laughs> that's so fucking true. You know, um, just to shout out another YouTuber, I watched a video by Lizzie Pierce, who's a, who's a Toronto vlogger of some sort. She does some camera stuff and I'm a bit of a camera nerd. And uh, she had a really important video of, on about burnout. And I think that's something we all deal with through everybody who, who does YouTube, that kind of thing is like, cause you know, you gotta, you gotta balance your personal life with putting content out. And uh, Jared Dines had experimented with, if you take time away from YouTube, it the algorithm will penalize you for that. Absolutely. Yep. And if you take time away from your life, your life will penalize you for that too. Yeah. And, and it's like, I find my, I find myself, you know, I, I pushed, you know, I've been going really hard the last week or two and I'm like, I need to take a couple of days here and just kind of, you know, play some fucking video games or do something a little different just so I don't completely flame out and not want to do this. It's, it's the greatest job in the world, but even then it can, it can be a little much when that's all you do. I forget if we talked about this, if we did, then uh, cut me off, but um, when I hear a lot of like people in their early twenties talk about this, about the grind of, you know, being a creator, whether that's, you know, on any social media platform or YouTube or whatever, that grind is real. But I wonder how much of that is just because they are 22 and they've never had an actual like shitty job that they hate. You know, like I did printing for years, which is very similar to working on an assembly line. You know, you stand there and you fucking collate paper for 10 hours in a row Yep. in a loud, noisy, stinky factory full of felons, you know, <laughs> and, you know, and, and compared to that, like the worst day on YouTube is 10 times better than the best day of printing. Oh yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean like, yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm very, very fortunate to be in the position I'm in. And, uh, the one video, yeah, you're talking about, I need to do a personal video and it's like, I need to do the, Hey, here's what I did for 27 years with my life before YouTube. You should. Yeah. I don't know if you've talked about that. I mean, I know you've mentioned it, but like, I would love to hear more about that. I, I, that's the video I need to make and kind of explain, you know, the position I'm coming from and, uh, you know, why I tend to be a little bit impatient with musicians sometimes. Sure. You should <laughs> yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, they should be that sense of urgency is just, I mean, when I was younger, I didn't have that sense of urgency. I don't know why. No, it's just like when you spend 27 years in manufacturing, you're working five, six, and sometimes seven days a week. Free time doesn't come by very often. So it's right. like when you come into the studio, you better have your fucking shit together. Don't you waste know. my fucking time. When I have three hours free this week, don't yeah. fucking piss away an hour of it because you weren't prepared. 
Right, exactly. I mean, like, obviously that's changed a lot since I've gone full-time with this. Um, and that that's, I'm, I'm so grateful for that. I mean, I was able, dude, I was able to retire from my job that I hated at age 49. That's amazing. But, and I don't mean to be morbid, but we, the, the amount of time we have on this earth is finite, you know, yep. which I, you don't feel when you're 23, but as you get older, it starts to become a real thing. And mm-hmm. I think about that a lot is like, what am like, why am I doing this thing right now? This is dumb because I will never get this time back. And on my deathbed, <laughs> what am I going to feel about the fact that I spent six hours on this bullshit? Oh yeah. Yeah. And that, that's, here's the thing though. It's like, it goes against everything to, to actually walk away from a job like that goes against everything you've been brought up to believe in, especially when you grow up, you know, in a blue collar town and you know, you know, your dad's a union member, your, your brother's a union member, your, your mom, you know, she's worked her whole life, that kind of thing. And then you tell your parents, Hey, guess what? I'm retiring, you know, five years early. What? You know? And it's like, well, you know, YouTube's made that possible because it's kind of rewritten the rules a lot. Well, it's not like you just up and quit one day. Fuck you, boss. I'm out of here. I mean, you had a no, plan. not at all. You know, oh you, yeah. You stuck it out. Like, so we should be clear to everybody. This isn't some half-assed rash decision you made. No, not at all. There was a lot of thought. I mean, like I probably could have made the half-assed rash, rash decision five years ago and probably been okay. But I walked out of my, my job with you know a very secure financial plan. You know, house is paid for, you know, I got the bulk of my retirement. That's all been reinvested. I didn't go out and buy myself a fucking Porsche or something stupid like that. <laughs> you know, I, you know, I put the money back into investments and that's going, I'm not going to touch it for another 15 years. Yeah. You know, for anybody listening, I guess the the thing I would go back and tell myself if I was younger, uh, you know, I think I've always been a pretty hard worker, but, um, you know, thinking about it when I was 24 or something like that, and I was kind of mad that things weren't or frustrated that things weren't going a certain way. And I'm like, well, you also played Final Fantasy 10 for three hours today. Ah! <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. But there you go. It's like I said this before, you know, and this is kind of extrapolating off something Joey Sturgis said a couple a couple years back is, you know, you want to get good at recording, you want to get good at video games. Make your choice. Yeah, you're going to get, I, I firmly believe that you get whatever you want out of life, when, but what you want is demonstrated by where you actually put your time and energy. Yeah. I'm, I'm at the point where it's like, I got to tear myself away from here and go play some video games or something just to kind of, you know, reset the mind. And, and that's, again, comes back on the whole thing Lizzie Pierce was saying is she's like, you know, go do some nature walks, go take some time for yourself mm-hmm. and make sure you stick to some kind of schedule like that where you do have time for yourself. So when you come back and you want to be creative, you can be creative. You don't feel like you're being forced to be creative. I feel like once a year or so, there's about a month where I just don't feel, I just don't feel like I don't have the fire and I just, I'm not into it. I'm not feeling it. And I've learned to just let myself be less productive for a month or so. I'll play video games for a couple hours a day for like a couple weeks. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, I'm over it. I don't want to play this game anymore. Back to work. And I've just learned that I can let, I just have to let myself go through that cycle. And I know that it'll come back. Yeah. I, I, I would agree with that. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I'm probably going to go play something tonight. I think I'm in the middle of Just Cause 4. I need to uh, get back into that. Oh, I love Just Cause 2. That was one of the best like open world games ever. That was so fun. Right on, right on. We were talking uh, before we started rolling here a little bit about, you know, some advice for bands when it comes to, you know, releases and recording and all that crap, which is don't take forever. 
And, oh, man, can I ever tell you a story about that? And again, we were talking about the teenage head thing about, you know, losing, kind of like losing your momentum. In their case, it was due to a car accident. So there's a band I worked with, Betrayer, back in 2009. Um, So this was one of the very few bands I ever got to work with that had a budget to do a record. And um, so I wanted to go up to Toronto and do the drums there at phase one and the drummer chickened out and... So we wound up doing the whole record here, which is fine. But we had Frederick Nordstrom signed on to mix the record. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, we had uh, budget for artwork. We had um, the guy who did a couple of Rush covers. He did the artwork for it. Like, it just turned out brilliant. And when we got the record back, the band sat on it for two years because the singer wasn't happy with one of the panels in the CD. It wasn't the right size. And there was some back and forth, and they, he could never get hear back from the artist. Two years later, it's like, hey, you guys think we should put that fucking record out? What do you say? <laughs> you know, so they put it out to very little fanfare because the fucking fans had moved on. Sure, because two years is an eternity. Yes. The, the worst advice you can give yourself is let's wait. Yeah, really? I mean, yeah, well, Tool waited 10 years and it worked out for them. Okay, cool. Are you Tool? Yeah. I, it's like, oh, yeah. Well, the, the flip side of that is, yeah, Guns N' Roses did that with Chinese Democracy. Look how awesome that record was. I literally didn't even know that album came out until years after. I, I asked someone, I was like, when is that ever going to come out? And he's like, it came out two years ago. I was like, really? Missed that one. I have seen so many bands turn down so many opportunities because, you know, it, it it wasn't quite perfect. Let's wait. I remember I yeah. did a did a uh, I did I did a, a music video, a horrible music video. Uh, would probably get us thrown off YouTube these days. It was a little. Uh, <clears throat> we had some rather attractive females, and it. it was basically a rap video in a punk rock format. <laughs> Didn't go over so well with the uh, punk rock crowd. Anyway, point being was I wanted to use the song that I thought was the single, and it was catchy. And they they decided they want to use another song, and we'll use we'll use the catchy one for the next video. <laughs> good move. Hold back your good stuff. Yeah, exactly. Hold back your best fucking track. You got a fucking golden opportunity. Yeah. If if, if they had used the good song, it probably that was a song probably would have been a hit because the video sure got them noticed. <laughs> but you know, to your point, you know, if if you uh, have the opportunity to where you think you're going to get a, a moment in the spotlight, you better make sure you're putting your best foot forward. Oh, absolutely. The thing I hear from a lot of rock people, because you know, I'm always uh, I'm I'm always telling people they should be looking uh, towards rappers for a lot of the ways that they do things and rappers are very prolific. And the thing that I always hear from people is, yeah, well, it's easy for them because all they have to do is download a beat and rap over it, which is partly true. But I would argue that in 2020, 2021, I would argue that it's not substantially more difficult or more time consuming to produce a rock song than it is a rap song. Uh, you might have a point. Yeah. I mean, like, especially, you know, with the tools available, I mean, like easy drummer, easy mix, you know, sure. Euro bass or not, or, uh, what, sub, the, you know, the bass plugins from submission audio. What if you're like a guitar player at his desktop, you've got everything you need right in your, right in your laptop. Absolutely. I mean, you know, my friend, Johnny Frank, uh, from Bill Murray, he's put out, uh, something like 12 albums in like seven years, I think. Wow. That's insane. I mean, like, yeah, well, that's the thing. Bands tend to overthink things. I mean, like, uh, yeah, personally, I'd like to see, you know, this is the thing. You've got the tools available. Personally, I'd be more happy if we'd get, you know, you know, three guys standing around a drummer and rocking the fuck out in a room. You know, that that's where the really cool shit happens in my opinion. So do that. I would love to see that. It's like, yeah, it's like, believe me, I I want to do that. Time consuming. You no, know? all you got to do is practice ahead of time. I mean, like, oh, wait, practice. Well, yeah. <laughs> come on now. No, I did. I did a hardcore band. Um, they were kind of like hardcore thrash crossover. They're called Face Down. 
And um, that was how we did the second album was, you know, the guitar player standing around the drummer. Sure. And then, Suicide then, Silence, uh, the uh, No Time to Bleed uh, was live in the studio. Mm-hmm. And we had a hell of a vibe on that record. That was uh, that record kicked ass. You know, it, it was hilarious. Actually, the band's last show, um, what is it? Unearth opened up for them. Okay. <laughs> that happened here in Windsor. So I keep, every time I run into Ken Susie, hey, I remember you. <laughs> Yeah, you know, from like like way back in two thousand kind of thing. So that right. that's pretty cool. So I think a lot of these stories that people tell themselves, especially bands, tell themselves they 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 tell themselves that it's because well we you know we're all about quality over quantity, uh, but I I don't think that's true. I think that they just don't want to be pushed to do things uh, more quickly than they're comfortable with. Mm. And I don't believe that there is really necessarily a correlation between the amount of time you put into anything and how good it turns out either. I mean, you know, we can all think of examples where we, like you barf something out and people loved it and you're like, really? You like that one? Oh, yeah. That happens with YouTube videos for me all the all time. The, time. It's, the, the videos I, I don't put it. Yeah. Fluff said this years ago is like the videos you don't put in any time in those always do great. It's the ones you work really hard on. Nobody watches. Absolutely. So, <laughs> you know, I think the same is true for music. You know, that if you think that slaving away for this thing, uh, slaving away in this thing for six more months is going to guarantee that it's going to be successful. That's just not true. Perfect example. Okay. Again, local band, um, a group called nuclear sunrise. Um, I sponsored a local battle of the bands for a suicide prevention hotline. This band won the thing. They came in, they cranked out two songs in an afternoon. I mean like, yeah, recorded it basically live. They're left funk rock band. They're really mm-hmm. good too. And yeah, they like we talked, you know, tracked the songs, mixed everything. One day, two songs. I think we did the whole thing in 10 hours. It was great. You know, I still listen to those tracks all the time because they turned out wonderful. Then they got some money to decide they're going to go into a studio and do it properly. And I think they spent 10 months on it and re-recorded the guitars about 18 times or something insane like that because nobody bothered to re They weren't quite happy with the tone. Right. I don't the know 17th, the record- 17th time was so much better than the 16th. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, I don't even know if that record even came out. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, t- I remember talking with uh, with the bass player at one point. He's like, dude, we should have never went in there. We should have just came back to you. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. This is Krista Makes, guitarist and vocalist for Less Than Jake, and host of Krista Makes a Podcast, a songwriting podcast where every week I'm joined by an amazing guest to break down the writing, recording, and release of one iconic song from their career. In our giant, evergreen back catalog of episodes, we've had rock legends such as Dee Snyder and Huey Lewis, punk rock favorites like Mark Hoppus, Fat Mike, and Brett Gurowitz, and up-and-coming artists of today such as Liz Stokes of The Beths and Genesis Owusu. We've had guests from all genres and styles of music, and I guarantee that if you peruse our back catalog, you'll see several episodes that'll make you say, man, I gotta hear that. Whether you're a fan of music or a creator of music yourself, you'll take away a whole new appreciation for the songs you know and love. Chris Makes a Podcast is available for free on all the places you could possibly listen to podcasts. And new episodes come out every Monday. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans... We set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, 
and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Gray Street. But first, I want to thank DistroKid for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're not familiar, DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that musicians use to put their music into online stores and streaming services. So in plain language, if you have ever wondered how to get your music on iTunes, Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Deezer, Tidal, and many, many more, there's like dozens and dozens of different streaming services. DistroKid is the way to do it. It is super easy. I have used it to put my music on Spotify. It took me maybe five minutes to like set it up and upload everything. It's legitimately awesome. I am sincerely a fan of this company and their product. And for those of you who have asked, you can also upload your music to TikTok with DistroKid. And if you want a chance to get featured on DistroKid's Spotify playlists, You can do that by submitting a song through Spotlight and getting your fans to vote for you. You can also use HyperFollow to get more Spotify followers. You can promote your new release as well as Spotify Canvas. That's where there's the video in the background in the player. And when you share it on Instagram, it shares that video too to make your Spotify release pop. And Spotify Canvas is available to all DistroKid artists. Like I said, as you can probably tell from this, like I am sincerely a fan of DistroKid. DistroKid can do everything I just talked about and so much more. So be sure to sign up with my link, which is in the show notes for this episode, to get 7% off your first year. That link is in the show notes of this episode or go to distrokid.com slash VIP slash the punk rock NBA. And thanks again to DistroKid for sponsoring this episode. And let's get back into it. Watch the, is- uh, this little peep documentary the other day. Um, it's n- it's not the uh, it's not the one not the one on Netflix. It's something else. But they were talking about he's you know he's uh, for anyone who's not familiar he's kind of the the big emo rapper that died uh, in 2017. He only made music for I want to say like three and a half or four years, and he recorded almost 400 songs. And they were talking about how they all live together and they record six or seven songs a night. Wow. And they're like, none of them are bad. Some are better than others, but you put out 400 fucking songs and some of them are going to be good. And he just was kind of fearless. Like they would talk about how we'd record in a room with like 10 strangers in there. He was just in the corner with a blanket over his head and he didn't give a shit, you know? And that's the attitude that, uh, I mean, isn't that what like rock used to be? Like when did rock and roll like become so like uptight and like, you know, concerned with playing by the rules? It's very strange. <laughs> uh, I think I think the forums might have had something to do with that. I could be very true. You know, it's like it's like because that's one thing. Uh, the forums are great because they're great for sharing information. Forums are bad because they encourage groupthink. Right. And and deviation from the norm is definitely not encouraged. Well, I mean, well, like Glenn does it this way. So we have to do it that way. Well, no, it's just, you know, here, here like, um, even the Facebook groups are really bad for that. Like, I just did that video a couple weeks ago ab- about, you know, vacuum tubes. I put them to the test. And I'm like, wow, yeah. turns out you're not really changing your sound. You're changing your amplitude. But, you know, once you adjust for, for volume, it's like the tone's not shifting. Uh-huh. And, you know, I'd be mean, like, they're ready to fucking kill me on a couple of forums there. I mean, like, they just, the fucking hate spewing forth was just, it, it was quite surprising, the venom coming forth. Yeah, well, forth. this album has EL34s on it, so you're <laughs> wrong. 
Yeah, pretty much something to that effect. But it's just kind of like I kind of felt like, you know, walking into, you know, a religious convention and going, you know, God's not real. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. It's a lot of these dogmatic beliefs that people don't even challenge. I mean, that's what you did is you you challenged it. And, you know, you I'm guessing that you didn't go into that with a preconceived notion of what you're going to find. Maybe you had an idea, but you know. I, I, th- I thought the tone was going to change because that's what I've been told for the last 30 years. Oh, change your tubes. You'll make it sound better. Okay, sure. let's put some new tubes. Oh, well, it turns out this is bullshit. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's uh, like, yeah, once you once you actually, you know, you know, sub- subject, you know, the, the notion to a little bit of science and kind of, you know, just change the one factor, it's like, oh, guess that's not changing much. And that's all I would ask that people do is just try it a different way. If doing an album every two years works for you and that gets you the results you want, that's great. Um, But how many people have ever even tried doing it differently? Well, that's the thing. I mean, like, uh, what's the point in even doing a record? I've said this to bands, I don't know how many times, and this kind of come back onto what you're talking about, is the problem with a two-album cycle is you vanish for two years. It's like, if you're smart, you know, do a couple songs every couple months. Release little EPs, three songs, four songs maybe. And that way you've got a new product coming out much more often. I mean, like the album thing worked great when people bought albums. You know? Yeah. It, it's like it, it. people don't fucking buy records like they used to. It's just, it's it's not happening. It's ne- never coming, going back the way it was. The genie's on the bottle. That shit's over. And it has been for like 20 fucking years. Like this just shouldn't be a conversation we're having in 2020. Another friend of mine, uh, emo rapper kid uh, named Shinigami, he's going to be putting out a song every week for the next year. Wow. And he's really good. That's fucking crazy. You know, put it this way for everyone who's listening that says that's impossible. If somebody put a gun to your head and said, if you don't do this, I'm going to kill you in a year, you would do it. You would find a way to do it. Sure. It is possible. You're yeah, just telling absolutely. yourself a story that it can't be done, but it can. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, yeah, you know, I I manage to put out content all the time. Sure. Yeah. You know, and and this thing, I mean, like, I farm some of that stuff out. I mean, like, I got guys playing drums and guitars for me now, just so I can kind of concentrate on doing what I do, because um, I'd rather hand stuff off to people who are way more talented at that shit than I am. But I would say that uh, making a video in the style and like kind of level of quality that we do. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's about the same amount of time as it would take to write and record a song and, you know, give or take a bit. Yeah. Uh, and we do that 50 to a hundred times a year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that, that's the thing though. You just really got to ask your question. What do you want? You know, do you want it? Do you want to play music? Do you want to get popular? That kind of shit, you know, then, then commit yourself. Yeah. Don't, don't waste your time on stupid shit. That's going to take away from that. A lot of these stories that we tell ourselves, just like, you know, this is kind of a a thing that I want to start really emphasizing a lot more in my content is about the stories that you tell yourself and challenging those because a lot of them are probably holding you back. I think the biggest barrier between most of us and our goal is our own thinking. You know, there's a lot of self-limiting thinking out there, like whatever, whoever said the quote, like whether you tell yourself you can or you can't, you're right. Wow. Because it's true. I like that. You know? Yeah, it is true. And when I started out doing YouTube, I didn't get any fucking traction for almost a year. And people already knew who I was. So I wasn't even starting from scratch. But still, like, I wasn't getting anywhere. And it was really demoralizing. And it sucked. And I was very, like, frustrated and bummed out by it and stuff. But I knew that it was possible to do this. Mm. I was was 100% certain that if I just kept doing it, that I would eventually figure something out. Right. Right. You know, I'd never told myself, oh, it can't be done. 
I suck. Like this is impossible. Like I should just give up because it can't be done. I said, well, it might take me two years, but I'm, I know this can be done. So end of story. And, and I, I, I feel like that's the thing that I am seeing a lot of when I talk to people in my comments or anywhere else is just a lot of people convincing themselves that a thing is impossible or that they're defeated before they even try it. And that's what I really want people to get over yep. is that idea of like, it can't be done. So I'm not even going to try. Yeah, that that's the thing. I mean, like, for, me, it was a little bit different. I got very lucky with the first couple of videos I did. But the problem I had, I But I, I don't scratch- think it was lucky because you had been part of that community for years already. That That's true. But the, the trick was following up with it. I didn't know where to go after this. And of, I don't well, I think already, it was lucky said- because how much time and energy did you put into learning the stuff that you said into those videos? Oh, yeah, yeah. There, there was that. There, that's absolutely true. You know, of course, being in the right place at the right time and stuff is always part of the equation but you know like like we say in jujitsu the more i train the luckier i get okay fair enough my problem i found was after i did my first couple of videos i'm like well what do i do next i had no idea <laughs> you know but you figured it, it, it out yeah it took me a year but i, I finally figured it out you know and I'm like right. okay I'm, this so is what i'm gonna a do a year yeah you know but yeah the trick the thing is yeah you don't quit you don't give up i tell that to everybody you know it's like who's at home struggling i don't like the guitar sounds i'm getting i don't like the drum sounds i'm getting this is tough and it's like yeah, the trick is don't quit. You know, keep right. doing it. Yeah, right. And it and it sounds it sounds simple, but you know, same thing. I remember also when I was younger, I told myself that you know nobody was going to hire me to be a graphic designer because I didn't go to the right school and I didn't this blah 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 blah. You know, and and in hindsight, like you know, those things were legitimate obstacles because in the design world, you know, people care what school you went to and stuff like that. Those were legitimate obstacles. But if I would have just put that energy into like going out there and meeting more people, shaking hands with people back in the old world where you could actually shake people's hands. Yeah. Then I would have gotten to that goal a lot faster instead of all those, all the energy I spent like complaining to my friends about how the, you know, cards, the deck was stacked against me. Fair enough. I was going to say, yeah, one, one more thing on the graphic design thing. I mean, like that's why your thumbnails look so fucking good. <laughs> yes. Yes. I have spent a lot of time, especially on that particular style of design. So, you know, I, that's another thing I would I would say to people um, is I think that um, find you may think that you have a skill from some past life you know past life meaning something you did you know for work or school or something like that that's that's useless but you can find a way to make that valuable in whatever you do for example you know your old day job it may seem like it's not directly rele- directly relevant to what you do now but i'm willing to bet that it actually is in some way that's possible like like i said it, it, it definitely um made me appreciate the free time i do get and and i'm sure that it le- i'm sure that you learned how to just put in the time to do something tedious because you know that it's just that's like editing video or editing drums it's pretty tedious oh but- yeah you just got to get through it. There's no shortcut. Exactly. Exactly. And I think we should call it right there. Actually, yeah, we're all pushing a half hour. <laughs> this is great. This has been fascinating, Fed. This well, is really feel cool. free to cut out as much of my rambling as you'd like. I hope no, it's some all good, of that dude. was helpful or interesting to someone. All right, everybody. That's Mr. Finn McGinty from the Punk Rock MBA channel. I definitely recommend going to check out his stuff. Finn's got some great insights on not only music history, but business, social media, a whole bunch of really cool stuff like that. Uh, definitely check him out. Uh, hit, the, hit the subscribe button over there. Why not? He's got some great shit. Finn, thanks so much for being on the show. Always a pleasure. Anyway, have a great day, man. Take care.
We're rolling ADAT. We are rolling. We are rolling on ADAT. There we go. <laughs> ADAT and 16 millimeter. Yeah. Oh, shit. <sighs> going to be expensive to scan this. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, man, I don't miss those days one bit. I started making videos in the mini DV days, which was like the worst of both worlds because it looked terrible. And it also, you know, you had to transfer it in real time. So if you had three hours of footage, it took three hours to log it. Oh, crap. What, what you were recording on a camcorder that had like mini DV? I don't even, I don't think I ever had a camera with that kind of capability. I was doing a lot of uh, like action sports stuff, like skateboarding, surfing, stuff like that. And all that, like in the mid 2000s, that was all mini DV. Okay. Like starting in like the early 2000s, the Sony uh, VX1000 was like the, if you've ever seen a skate video with like that fisheye lens on it. Okay. Yeah. So that's the classic look is the, the VX 1000 with a fisheye on it. So I would get, you know, they'd mail me a FedEx envelope with like seven mini DV tapes in it and I would log them and go from there. Okay. Oh, mini V DV tapes. I'm thinking mini disc of, of some sort. Okay. No, um, actually I think I've got a camcorder somewhere with, uh, with it's digital. I, I remember we got that. Um, they made 28 days later, um, on mini DV. Wow. With the first the Panas first Panasonic camera that came out was the D was the DVX one thousand or whatever. Okay. Uh that was the first like uh three chip mini DV camera that did twenty four P. Okay. Because wow. all the other ones before were like sixty I. Right. Or thirty I, whatever. Um yeah. And uh, so that was the power of mini TV. Yeah, I, I th actually, I remember shooting a music video on that. I had like this old Toshiba camera that the, the only reason I wanted to get it because it had a firewire output so you could actually yep. transfer it right into the computer. Yeah, yep. exactly. Yeah, the mini TV firewire days. Yep, exactly. So, okay, great. And yeah, that's the thing. I mean, like um, I thought that's, I didn't pay much attention to it in the mid to mid 2000s. We got around... Uh, 2010, 2011. That's when I start, first started seeing, you know, videos pop up uh, shot on DSLRs on the Andy Sneap forum. Right. Go, Whoa, what is this? This almost looks like film. You know, it seems so weird to me back then to shoot video with a DSLR. It's yeah. Like that little thing makes videos. It's so weird. Yeah. But I, I couldn't get over looking. I'm like, that looks like a freaking movie. I, I want one of those. So yeah, I went out and bought one. And, you know, next thing you know, you know here we are. Here we are. Yeah, that's funny how, how shit uh, turns out. You know what I mean? It, it yeah, those mini... I, I went back. I used to be kind of proud of those videos I made back in the day, and I watched them recently. I was like, <laughs> these are horrible. Why did oh, I sure. ever think this was good? Well, that's like... I, I got a DSLR because I wanted to direct music videos. And because I, that's why I trained for in college. And I did a few, and then I realized I'm terrible at it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure you learned something from it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Let other let people of talent do the music videos. I'll, I'll fucking you know, <laughs> I'm kind of you know taking sledgehammers to bad gear and shit like that. But, wow, I think it's even you know. harder to make money in music videos than it is in recording too. Oh fuck, it's got to be mission impossible. I mean, like that's the thing. Uh, you know, if you ever want to grow up and direct music videos or record bands, just fucking forget it. I mean, like nobody's got any money. Right. <laughs> you know? I remember I had a bunch of friends that made music videos. Some of them were working with like you know pretty big artists you know i remember for example the one of the companies i freelance for did something for do you remember that band uh the raconteurs it was like a white stripes spinoff okay but they were a major label band okay signed to like jack white's label and their budget for the entire video was five grand and this was in 2005 when it was a lot harder to make a music video than it is now sure and wow. so the whole thing i would talk to people about doing videos and 
it was the same story every time is they'd say, well, I started out doing these just because it was cool and I would do them for cheap or for free to build my portfolio to you know, get attention. Then I realized there's no money at the end of the rainbow. There is no pot of gold. You just keep doing cheap free videos forever until you quit and start doing commercials or something else that actually pays money. Right, right. That exactly it. I mean, like I, I remember recording, uh, working with one band here, local group, and the guys went into school for video and all that stuff. Now they run a wedding video service. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yep. You know, they just got to wear, wear long sleeves to cover up all the tattoos and away they go, you know, because it, it's a it's a, it's it's a form of video that people will actually pay for. Exactly. And that that's the thing. Yeah. Bands are, don't want to sh- spend money on your Anything, work. Yeah, like exactly. Drum heads or bass strings. <laughs> Or gasoline or anything right. other than, yeah. Hey, if, oh, if it's weed, they'll spend money on yeah, weed. Absolutely. But, or, yeah. you know, I'd rather, I'd ra- rather buy a new head than strings because I'm sure that because my tone problems are definitely not the strings, it's the head, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's so strange. They would literally rather spend 800 bucks on a new head than $35 on new strings, which will almost <laughs> definitely make a bigger difference. Indeed. Absolutely. I don't understand it. <sighs> Band logic. Yeah. Or anti-logic. And I, and I think I signed up to work, work with these people. Mistakes were made. <laughs> yes, apparently. Fuck, where were we? Now, you touched on something there, though. It's like, yeah, the, the wedding video thing. Yeah, that's the thing. People spend money on weddings. Yes, they do. Which is, honestly, you're probably going to have more fun spending money on producing a record or a music video because it'll last longer. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, people spend, you know, five grand or whatever on wedding photos. And, you know, maybe they do a photo, they do photos and a video. They could easily spend five grand on that. You think a band is going to spend five grand on photos? Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I can do it with my phone, dude. Yeah, we were thinking more like, five dollars yeah yeah exactly oh or they get their friend to do it and then the band photo is uh uh them in a graveyard with all their arms folded (laughs) never saw that photo before or they could get creative and do a fire escape or some train tracks oh the train tracks train yeah nobody's ever done train tracks before right yeah it's a good one (laughs) fucking hell all right my friends that does it for this episode of the podcast if you made it this far thank you thank you for listening we sincerely appreciate each and every one of you If you want to help the show, there's a couple things that you can do. First of all, share it on social media. If you share it, tag us, tag Finn McKenty, that's me, and tag Deanna Chapman, that's a producer. Second thing you can do, if you really, really, really love us and really want to support us, you can support us on Patreon. There's a link to that in the show notes. You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever else you're listening to this, or you can do none of that, and you can just sit at home, think about how awesome this podcast is. That works too. Again, thank you very much to each and every one of you for listening. We sincerely appreciate it, and we'll see you next time. Hey, this is Dewey Halpas, host of Peer Pleasure on the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. Join me each week as I explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians, actors, comedians, or creatives. From Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal the Man, to Fat Mike from NoFX, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, 
And my good friends Corey Pays and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-D.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.